0: Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. One of the crazy things about life I found, I was telling somebody this morning, actually, I think my favorite book in the Bible is slowly becoming the book of Ecclesiastes. The gospels are great because they're about Jesus, right? And everything is about Jesus. But I really love the book of Ecclesiastes because it has this weird way of talking about both the tragedy and the joy that comes with living the life that we get to live. There's a lot of brokenness, but there's a lot of joy to be had as well. And in the midst of all that is going on in our lives, in my life, in the life of our church, we still got to experience some joy last Thursday at Trunk or Treat together. I wanted to share for those who were unable to make it, just a few pictures of our Trunk or Treat event. It was a blast, right? Like, I think one of the things that I've learned in life is just to come with low expectations with whatever's going on, and you'll always exceed them. And I certainly, drunk or treat, exceeded them. I think it wasn't just because of my low expectations, but it was because you all participated and engaged. And it was a really sweet time just to connect with a number of folks from our neighborhood and our community who were just walking by. It was a sweet time I know for some of you to invite people you hadn't seen around the church in any capacity for a while to come and dress up and come into our parking lot. We'll give you sugar and whatnot. Um, And there certainly were more people than the ones that you're seeing here who helped make this event happen. But it was just a really beautiful picture to me of what it looks like when our church gets together, we all sort of pull in the same direction towards a common cause of what it is that we can do together um, somebody asked me how many folks came through the parking lot and I was like I don't know I thought they were gonna be like 10 so I didn't have anybody counting so I have no idea but it was a sweet 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 time together and I I really want to extend my gratitude to you all for participating in the ways that you did it you showed up and you showed up strong and I was like man I love being a part of this church when we do it we really do it amen amen Thank you for being the church that you are. It's awesome, it's awesome. We're gonna be continuing on in our teaching series titled Teach Us to Pray, in which we're contemplating and thinking about what it means to be a people who pray. One of the sort of misnomers, I think, when it comes to prayer that we have in the church is this idea that there are some people who just know how to pray and then there's the rest of us, right? But really, at the end of the day, I believe that prayer is something, it's a discipline, it's a practice that we learn and that we actually spend a lifetime growing in. And I wanna remind you, I've been in different settings where I've been praying with people um, over the past couple of weeks, and they say, um, so I'm not really a good prayer, but I'm gonna try. And I wanna remind you of the sort of first, one of the first statements I shared a couple weeks ago when we started this series. Pray as you can, not as you can't, amen? And this morning, we are gonna be looking at Psalm 139, sort of well-known text, as a way of grounding our teaching this morning in prayer. I'm going to read Psalm 139 with you all. I'm going to read from the NIV version, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Apologies, it's a long chapter, but 24 verses won't kill us. Let's hear what the psalmist writes to us a psalm of David. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And this is where it gets a little weird. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. Weird prayer. I count them my enemies. But I love this honesty after. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. There is a famous psychological study done years ago, I think it was like in the early 90s, to measure a person's capacity to be attentive. It's kind of like a sort of complicated version of the hidden ball trick. You know, the ball's under the cup and somebody's moving them all around. And the goal is to see, do you have the attention span and focus to identify which cup the ball is under? But rather than using cups on a table, this study utilized two teams that each had a basketball. One team, there were three people who wore white t-shirts, and in the other team, there was a team that wore black t-shirts. And the team with white shirts passed a basketball among themselves, and the team with black shirts passed a basketball among themselves. And participants in the study were asked to track how many passes the team wearing white shirts completed. And the goal was to see that in the midst of all of this chaos of two different teams passing this basketballs, could you pay attention enough to count the number of passes that were made by the team in the white shirts? And I want to test your capacity this morning to pay attention by playing this video for you, and it will hopefully... No, not the Lord's Prayer. We did that. Scratch. All right, here we go. How many times the players wearing white count the basketball? The players in white. How many times they pass the basketball? And it helps if you don't talk. How many passes did you count? Tell your neighbor how many you counted. The correct answer is 15. How many got 15? But did you see the gorilla? (laughs) Did you see the gorilla? Did you see the gorilla? (laughs) There (laughs) he is. Oh, this is such a great study. All right, let's be honest, how many of you saw the gorilla the first time the video was played? How many did not see the gorilla the first time? That is astounding, is that not amazing? And no, it was the gorilla in both of those ways. If you didn't see the gorilla the first time, don't feel bad for being inattentive. All that means is that you can be really focused on a single task. You did an amazing, amazing job. If you did notice the gorilla, the first time don't feel bad either you're just a very attentive person to every there are silver linings to seeing the gorilla or not seeing the gorilla one of the amazing things about this study is that as they perform this over and over and over again is they found that there's about 50 percent of people who do not notice the gorilla the first time they watch the video but 100% of participants see the gorilla once they become aware that there was a gorilla in the video, right? You see, psychologists who use this experiment to test people's perceptions argue that the great challenge for many of us is that we can easily miss an unexpected object, like a gorilla walking across a group of people, if that object looks similar to the things around it. That is, the gorilla is hard to see because he's wearing black, and there's a team that's wearing black, and so your mind doesn't pick up on the reality that these are different kinds of objects. And one of the great challenges for us in the Christian life, I think, is to discover what gorillas are walking around in our lives. You see, in the Christian life, it's really difficult at times to be attentive to the ways that God wants to transform and change and do our lives because we don't recognize the gorillas that are walking around in our relationships. We don't recognize the gorillas walking around in our thought life. We don't recognize the gorillas that are walking around in our behaviors because they just blend into everything else that is around them. You see, there are attitudes and reactions to situations and thoughts that we dwell on regularly that all seem very normal to us. They seem like they're almost a part of who we are, but because they're so quote-unquote normal to how we think and how we live and the decisions we make, we easily fail to see how some of those things are not supposed to be in our lives at all. We can fail to see that these are areas in our life that God wants to transform and restore us. All of us grew up thinking that our families and our experiences in our families were normal, right? We're like, my family is the normal family. Your family is really weird. But as you grow up, you, begin, you realize and you become aware of the fact that the only thing that makes your family normal is the fact that it's not normal, right? Because all of our families are a little bit strange at the end of the day. And similarly, there are no, quote, normal thought patterns, normal attitudes, emotions, and ways of living that God does not want to redeem and restore within us. Several years ago, I was reading a book written by a man who does a lot of work with juveniles who were in detention centers. And his work was to sort of help these juveniles who were imprisoned sort of think about a new way of living so that they didn't end up back into the prison system later on. And he shared that when he meets with these groups of young men, he usually does this single exercise that involved a coin. Is that he would match up each of the young men with a partner and give one of them a coin. And he would tell the partner, all right, you're the the partner with the coin. You need to hold on to the coin with all of your mind. The goal is to have the coin. And he would tell the other person, hey, your goal is to try and get the coin from that person, right? So you got to try and figure out a way to get that coin from that person. And inevitably, the exercise always turned into wrestling matches between partners. One desperately trying to get a hold of the coin and one trying desperately to withhold the coin from their partner. And after a few minutes... He would end the exercise and ask everyone about their experience, what they were thinking and what they were feeling as they tried to pry the coin from their partner's hands. And after listening to all of the participants share, he would ask them a very simple question. Why didn't you ask for it? You are wrestling, you are fighting, you are grappling. Why did you not think just to ask for the coin? And he shared, so many of you have this default mode to use force when you can use words and this is the thing that has landed you in the situation that you are currently in and I want to invite you to consider a different way of living in the world that can keep you from getting back here again. You see, while most of us may have issues, may not have issues with sort of forceful violence as a default mode to a challenging situation, we certainly have default attitudes We have default emotions and we have default behaviors that we think are the normal way of going about our lives. We may even think that we don't have any other option but to live and respond and to think and to feel the way that we do, but why do we think that? Why do we respond to situations and things the way that we do? Why are our attitudes and emotions driven the way that they are? You see, we all have this inclination to think that the way we think and the way we act is just a part of who we are. But might it be that there are parts of our lives that God is wanting to transform and change? Ruth Haley Barton writes this. There comes a time in the spiritual life when one of the major things God is up to is lovingly help us see ourselves more clearly There comes a time in the spiritual life when one of the major things God is up to is lovingly help us see ourselves more clearly. It is in our lives of prayer, I suggest to you this morning, that we can begin to see the gorillas that exist in our lives and begin to see a new way of living and being in the world, a new way of attaining a coin, right, And I want to introduce you to what's known as contemplative prayer, and more specifically within that umbrella of contemplative prayer, a a method of praying called the prayer of examine. It is a way of praying that invites us not to speak, but invites us to invite God to graciously help us identify in our lives the things that he wants to transform in us You see, the prayer of examine is a way of increasing our own self knowledge of ourselves. The prayer of examine is a way of increasing our own self knowledge of ourselves. The great Christian theologian Augustine once wrote, How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And later in that same work, he wrote a well known prayer in response to this question. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself so that I may know thee. You see, what differentiates the sort of prayer of examine that leads to self-knowledge from being a sort of practice of self-focus, We're like, hey, look at how great I am. I just wanna think about myself all the time, right? Is that the prayer of examine, trusts that God is the one who graciously reveals to us our own selves in prayer, if that makes sense. I played soccer in college, and there's a game each year called Senior Day where the se- that year's seniors are sort of appreciated at halftime. Our coach would write some kind words in a letter to each senior appreciating them for their contribution that they made to the program and to our team that would re- be read before the home crowd. And I remember my senior year of college listening to the words the kind words that my coach wrote about me and just kind of like the humdrum, okay, this was really normal or blah, 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 blah." it sounds like everybody else's letter. But one thing that he said stood out to me. It was a passing comment, but the only comment that I can recall to this day, (laughs) he said, and we will certainly miss his unique laugh. We will certainly miss his unique laugh. And it struck me because no one had ever informed me that I had a quote, unique laugh. And after the match, I asked some of my teammates, like, do I have a weird laugh? And everyone universally said, oh yeah, man, it's super weird. It's like borderline obnoxious. And I was like, seriously? I had never known this about myself in my whole life that I had a strange laugh. Come to find out years and years and years later, people make fun of me for my laugh and I will not laugh on command, don't ask, right? But this sort of contemplative way of praying is a way that we invite God to graciously identify the laughs in our lives. Identify the ways of being and living in the world that God wants to do something new in us and through us that he wants to transform our lives. The prayer of examine, it has sort of five movements, if you will, five sort of steps, if you will, of praying. And I'm gonna work through these and this would be like the sort of meat of the message if you really wanted to learn how to pray this way. But the first movement in the prayer is one of thanksgiving. All prayer begins with gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you for all the ways that you are moving in my life. The second movement is an invitation to ask God for the grace to see where you move nearer or further from him. That is, we invite God to point out and highlight in our lives the ways that he wants to transform and change us because one of the realities that is true about all of us it becomes very difficult for us to own our own brokenness, own our own shortcomings, own our own mistakes, and it is by the grace of God that we can see ourselves through that lens, and so we ask God, we invite God that we want to know these things about us that he wants to change and transform The third movement is to review the day or week. There are some people who do the prayer of examine every single day at the end of their day. Some people will do it once a week. Perhaps you want to do it once a month, whatever it is. But you move in thinking about your day, event by event, hour by hour, the conversations that you had, the 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 emails that you sent, the interactions that you had with people? What were the emotions? What were the attitudes? What were your responses? What did you say? What did you do throughout your day? And in so doing, you know what you begin to recognize and identify? I didn't do everything right that I should have today. I didn't do everything right that I should have this week. I had thoughts about people. I had words that I wish I could take back. There are things I did I wish I wouldn't have done. And when those things reveal themselves in our lives, the next movement is to confess them before God, asking for forgiveness for the ways that you've drifted from him. And one of the things that allows us to pray these types of prayers is the knowledge that God is a God who forgives and who extends grace to us in our lives, but we have to confess them before him. And the fifth movement is this, is to repent. That is to turn away, to make a decision in your own life that you're gonna intentionally try and not live that way anymore. That you're gonna be more mindful when those emotions or attitudes or responses or words are beginning to reveal themselves in your life. And we thank God for his grace. It's a simple method of prayer but very, very powerful. One of the things that I want you to notice about this way of praying is that it doesn't have a single hint of finger pointing at others for your own behavior. The idea of praying this way isn't to identify how other people led you into a bad attitude. It isn't to identify how other people led you to poor actions. It isn't a way of identifying the ways that people led you to say things that you shouldn't have said, but it is a way to discover why did you respond in those situations in that way, with that kind of attitude. You see, the hope in praying this way is to discover how Jesus might have called you to a different response. Maybe there was an alternative way of approaching your life in that moment, even though it was a difficult situation. When I do uh, premarital counseling, with couples preparing for marriage, we inevitably spend a session talking about conflict resolution, which I've never needed in my marriage because we've never had conflict. But, but I know some people have dealt with conflict. But the hope in those sessions with the premarital counseling isn't, isn't to resolve conflict, okay? Okay. Um, it, but it's to offer them the couple of tools that they can utilize to resolve conflict. Too many times people come in thinking that I'm going to be the one to fix their problems. That is not how it works, right? But they're the ones that have to do the work. And here's just a tool that might help you resolve the conflict. And so much of life is this way, by the way. You have to resolve the own conflict yourself. But one of the things that we talk about in conversations in resolving conflict, and here's a little marital advice if you haven't thought about this before, but is that when you're in the midst of conflict, it's really important for you to use what I term I language rather than you language. That is, when dealing with conflict, it's more important for each individual in the conflict to own their own shortcomings. What did you contribute to the problem at hand? What were your failures that helped led us to the situation that we're currently in? And so when you're talking about it then, you need to speak of, I feel this way when this situation happens. Or I'm hearing that it makes you feel sad when I fill in the blank. And this changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. You see, the thing that we ultimately our called to respond to is the grace of God afforded to us, right? What happens when you start using you language in conflict with your spouse? Well, if you didn't do this, what immediately happens, right? There's defensiveness. Now they're going to fight back. They're using you language now. Well, you're the one who, well, you didn't take the trash out last week. Well, oh, I've been taking the trash out for years, right? And this whole thing just builds and builds and builds and escalates, and you can't ever resolve conflicts, but we have to own just our own stuff, use I language. You see, the thing that we are ultimately called to respond to is the grace afforded to us by God that we've received for ourselves in community. And one of the things that I want to suggest, both about marriage and about you as a person, is the best thing you can do in your marriage, the best thing you can do as a parent, as an employer, as an employee, as a community member, as a church member, as a coach, as a student, as a friend, isn't to let everyone know what they're doing wrong, but to look more and more like Jesus in your own life. The thing that you can do that would best help everybody around you and all the situations around you is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. In fact, this is what Jesus does, right? Is he helps us wrestle with our own selves there's that moment there's that story some of you might be familiar with where there's a woman caught in the middle of adultery and according to the law of moses she's supposed to be stoned to death for this and so the religious teachers hoping to trap jesus bring this woman to jesus and say hey this woman was caught in adultery what should we do we should kill her right that's what the law of moses says and what does jesus say he who has not sinned casts the first stone what does he do self-reflect on yourself So while this way of prayer, though, is certainly practiced as individuals, I want to suggest to you this morning that the fullness of its impact in our lives is best felt in the midst of community. As one pastor wrote it, one thing we can know for sure is that when we are confessing our sin to God but not to the people around us in ordinary, nitty-gritty life, there is not much real spiritual transformation going on. They didn't say that there isn't forgiveness going on, there certainly is. But when our spiritual lives are not lived in the midst of true community, real spiritual transformation in your life is unlikely. This is why James writes in his letter, in chapter five, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed, so that you might be transformed, so that you might be restored, so that you might live and enter into a new way of living. It involves the confession to one another. You see, my interest this morning is not so much just your increased knowledge of yourself, That although that would be really great but it is to increase your knowledge of yourself in the midst of friendship and community. That is, when you discover that there's these things about your life that are not great. Hey, is my laugh really weird? Oh yeah, it's really weird. Hey, is this attitude that I have kind of off kilter a little bit? Yeah, it is. Hey, when I said this thing to this person, was that not right? No, it wasn't. Hey, when I interacted with you and decided to do this thing, Instead of that thing, that wasn't the right way to do it. No, it wasn't. And it's in the midst of this sort of prayer life that's lived out in the context of community where real spiritual transformation can begin to take hold in your life. So many of us spend decades of our lives wondering, why am I the same person that I was 20 years ago? And I wanna suggest this morning, it's through the development of a praying life in the midst of community that that ultimately begins to take root The prayer of examine is fully experienced as we share what we learn about ourselves with another. One of the sure signs that we can feel comfortable entering into this way of praying is the practice of going to the table together. You see, in a few moments, we will be taking communion. And it's at this table that we are reminded that God has embraced us in love and grace with our Brokenness. We don't have to be embarrassed. We don't have to be ashamed at the table. God has proclaimed through the person of Jesus, You are loved. You are received. My grace is sufficient for you. And it's at this table that we're reminded that everyone who comes to it isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. We're all broken, and God is working to redeem and transform all of us, myself included. That is, we're a community that need the grace and love of God in our own lives, but we also need to be people who extend grace and love to those around us, because they need it too, and you need it from them too. And one of the great gifts, perhaps the greatest gift that you can offer our community and church is to be a people who pray the prayer of examine that your transformed heart and life, those are the things that our church ultimately needs from you, that you might look more and more like Jesus. And it's not just the thing that we need. We actually want you to be more and more like Jesus. And my hope is that we can be a people who pray in this way. (sighs) Let's pray. God, we want to look more and more like Jesus. And the more we look at Jesus, the bigger the gap between us and Jesus there seems to be. But we believe that your grace is sufficient, that you are enough, that you sent your son to die for us even in the midst of our sin and brokenness and failures. But we believe, God, you do not just save us. You did not just save us then, but you are saving us now that you're redeeming and restoring us. And I ask God that each person in this room might respond to the grace afforded to them as individuals to become more and more conformed to the image of your son Jesus. Thank you for being eternally patient with us. Continue to do good work in us. It's in the name of your son that we pray, amen.